The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Well, um, this past week, uh, I celebrated my birthday, and it was uh, it was kind of a big one for me. It was a big 3-0, and uh, so as I think, I'm really old now, I get it. It was really hard to wake up now. Ever since I'm 30, it's been harder to get up in the morning, and I go to the bathroom every five minutes. But uh, anyway, it's been difficult getting older, but I'll make it. But I got a lot of nice cards this past week from people with a lot of really great notes in it, and I, I thank you for that. Probably one of my favorites was a real personal note from a, a friend of mine in, in, in it. It was this. This is what he wrote in the card. He said, um, forget about the past. You can't change it. Forget about the future. You can't predict it. Forget about the present. I didn't get you one. So uh, I, I, really, uh, I really had a great birthday. And every major birthday you have, you look back. Now, for some of you, like every birthday is a major one, right? But uh, every major birthday, you start to look back. And as I look back uh, at the last decade of my life, I, I just saw grace upon grace. I saw all of the wonderful things that God's done for me in this past decade. And, and so, I, I mean, literally, I, I finished uh, school in this past decade. I, I got married. Um, I had a bunch of kids. And so, a lot of things a lot of things have happened to me in this past decade and you know one of the things in particular I thought about this past week was um, do you guys realize that the majority of my 20s I spent here at Christ Church right you took the best years of my life no I'm just kidding yeah I, I, the majority of my 20s you guys hired me when I was 24 and then you want to hear something even more ridiculous? You let me preach when I was 26. What is wrong with you? Uh, but anyway, I, and so as I and so as I as I thank God for all of the grace upon grace that He's shown me this past decade, I had to thank Him for you guys a lot. I had to thank Him for this church. And as I thank God for the church, I started to think, what do I pray? Like, like what do I say for this church? And we all pray for things related to Christ Church at times, right? This past week was VBS. Maybe some of you prayed for VBS. And if you did, awesome. Thank you very much. And maybe uh, every time we do our food distribution once a month, maybe when that comes up, you start to pray for that. Great. Thank you do it for doing that. Maybe when you think about the elders and you think about how inept we are, you start to pray for us. And thank you for doing that. But, you know, do any of us regularly just sit down and pray in general, pray for the people of Christ Church? And I, I, think, I think we would. But I think we don't for a couple reasons. One, we don't think about it. Like some of you, maybe you get the, the prayer request sheet uh, that, that we have out in the lobby. And, and uh, you get the prayer request sheet. And, and so you pray specifically for people. Or maybe you visit the prayer walls on either side of the sanctuary. And you grab a prayer request and pray for them. Or maybe somebody in your Sunday school class or small group or something has something going on. So you pray specifically for them. So some of us, we just we don't think about praying for everybody. We think about praying for individuals. And that's wonderful and it's nice. And I think maybe another reason we don't pray for each other, like like as a whole, is is we go, you know, I don't know what to pray. Like what, that's kind of a big deal. What do you pray for, like the whole church? God, I pray for the people of Christ Church that they would be cool, right? Like like what do you pray? Like like what what's the thing that comes to mind? Like there's no little, uh, you know, I, now I lay me down to sleep prayer. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing easy or scripted, is there? And so, um, what should we pray for one another? And and so, what should I pray for you and in, in, in us together? What should you be praying for all of us? Because I'm convinced we should be praying for one another. I'm pretty sure the scriptures are clear on that. We should be praying for one another. So how do we pray for our church? And if we love our church, then we'll do that. 
I, I love my church. I hope you love your church. And, and as, if you don't, please don't voice it now. We'll talk later. But I, I love my church, and so I need to be praying for it. And the same thing for you. If you love your church, you'll be praying for it. So, so what do we pray for? Well, I came across a prayer of Paul for the church in Ephesus in, in Ephesians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. You absolutely need to follow along with us today. We're going to be jumping all over that chapter or, or all through that passage we're going to be looking at. So if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under your chairs. Those little white Bibles are our gifts to you. You take it. If you find like a really nice leather Bible under there... Good job, jackpot. Take it with you. All right, so anyway, but those are our gift to you. If you have a smartphone, you can follow along um, there. Um, I won't think you're texting, but others will and will silently judge you. But anyway, look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to look at Paul's prayer for this church at Ephesus. And I I think that this prayer should be our prayer for one another. Um, So let's check it out. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So that's a pretty good prayer. Let's start at the top. Let's figure out what this prayer means, right? It'd be good to talk about, uh, to, to pray something you understand. Look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. What what reason? Are you there in Ephesians chapter 3? Go to verse 13. Just look up one verse. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul is a prisoner for the work that he's doing, to bring the gospel to the church at Ephesus and and to all of the places God had led him to, to all of the different Gentiles God had led him to. um, It cost him his freedom. He's in prison, all right? And so what he's saying is, is, look, don't lose heart over that. So they're tempted, apparently this church is tempted to despair because of the difficulties that Paul has suffered in bringing them the gospel and you go why would they be tempted to despair it's not happening to them well maybe one they just really care about Paul you know maybe they despair because they say I really care about Paul I don't want to see him suffer like this and so I'm despairing but maybe number two and I think this might be more accurately uh, more accurate maybe think about this you just converted to a new religion and the guy who introduced you to it the guy who you're listening to and you're learning from was just arrested and is suffering because of that new religion you just joined wouldn't you go maybe i made a mistake right so they're sitting there thinking like okay i don't know maybe i joined the wrong team here maybe this isn't all it's cracked up to be however what what paul is saying he's saying look don't despair This is for your good. That's what he says. This is for your good. God's doing something incredible here. Don't despair. And so he begins to pray for their strength. What does this have to do with us? Well, let me ask you a question. Don't, aren't we at times very much tempted to despair? 
Aren't we very much tempted uh, to, to miss the meaning in our suffering and to, to even question or even doubt the, the love and the, uh, the love that God has for us and even doubt the faith that we've based our whole lives upon? Aren't we all tempted to despair? Absolutely we are. Maybe not for the same reason this church at Ephesus is. Maybe not because the pastor of our church is, is in prison, because he's not, though there's time. Uh, but maybe it's not for that. Maybe, maybe we all are tempted to despair because of the worries of the world right? Think about it. You just get distracted and and, and you get down by the day-to-day business of just being an adult, right? Just having a family, just being a a co-worker, just being a boss, whatever it is, your job, your family. Maybe maybe you missed a credit card payment and a SWAT team showed up at your house, right? Like we all realize the difficulties there are just living life. So maybe the worries of this world are tempting you to despair. Maybe you're tempted to despair because following Jesus is not so easy. It's difficult because the world we live in hates us and we have an enemy who's constantly working against us. Working against our joy, trying to frustrate our lives because they glorify God. He doesn't want that glory. He wants the glory for himself. So he tries to frustrate our lives. And so maybe you know that, that he promises that you won't be tempted more than you can bear, but this temptation feels different. Or maybe you know that he promises to always be there, but this time feels lonelier than before. Maybe you know that he promises to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, but not this time. He can't do it this time. And you're tempted to despair. We all face difficulties that tempt us to despair. And Paul says in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so from today on, I will bow my knees and I hope you will bow your knees for the people of Christ Church for the same reason, that in the face of difficulties experienced while following Christ, you won't give up and you won't despair. So look at verse 14. Again, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So this verse tells us that this Father, the Father we're praying to, is the Father of all fathers. For every family in heaven and on earth derives its existence and its family name from the Father. He is above all fathers. He's the Father of all fathers. And you say, why would... Like, then you have to ask yourself, why would Paul choose to say this? Like, why would he address God in this way? You know, like, you're the father of all fathers. Why, why not just say, hey, dear God, please help us, right? Like, why go with this type of understanding of the father? I think two reasons. One, Paul highlights God's sovereignty. He's the father of all fathers. Who else are you going to go to? Who else has the power he has? Who else, there's, there's nothing that's in existence, uh, there's nothing that, that exists that exists uh, outside of him, all right? Like, he's the one that we go to. He's the one that we talk to uh, uh, for one another, all right? So he highlights his sovereignty. Secondly, Paul highlights his care. We aren't praying to a God who is distant. We aren't praying to a God who is, who's far removed from us, who doesn't know us, who isn't intimately, intimately acquainted with what we're dealing with and therefore can't give us good gifts. We're talking to our Father. In Matthew 7, 9 through 11, Jesus gives us an understanding of God as our Father. And by the way, this is one of my favorites. Um, And it's one of my favorites because it's really ridiculous. Check this out in verse 9. Which one of you, if his son asked him for a bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is such a ridiculous illustration. I love it. Like, think about it. It just gives me this word picture of my son walking up to me and being like, dad, I'm really hungry. I need bread. And I'm like, yeah, here's a rock. And what it says is like, you know how to good, good, give good gifts. So, so what he's, the implication is that as you give a rock to your kid, you would think that would be a good gift, right? Like you say, okay, you, you're hungry, chew on this rock, right? Or, or maybe you go fishing with your kid and, and so it's time to eat. And, and so you're about to eat some, some fish or whatever. And, and your son's like, hey, can I have a fish? And you're like, absolutely. And you throw a rattlesnake at him and you're like, good eating, right? Like that's ridiculous. I wouldn't do that. And God says, of course you wouldn't. And just, just as you, you, you simple, sinful, fallen, broken fathers know how to give good gifts. How much more does your perfect heavenly father know how to give good gifts to you? Isn't that an incredible truth that that's our God? Our God's our father. That's who we're talking to. And so in the first two lines of this prayer, Paul has already communicated that, you know what, when it looks bleak, don't despair because our father can and wants to strengthen and help you. As we continue through this prayer, I want to highlight four requests Paul prayed for the church. And I think that these four requests should become our requests for one another. Let me nerd out for a second. I, I love this prayer for so many reasons. One of the reasons I love it is because it's like building blocks of prayer, right? I have uh, three kids. This week, our fourth one will probably be here. And so my life is a whole bunch of pff, right? Like it used to be, uh, it used to be semi-organized. Now it's just pff, right? And so this prayer, though, is so organized. What you're going to see is in these four requests, one builds on top of the other. And I love that because there's a completeness there. I, in, in other words, I know that as I pray this prayer for you, I'm not missing a step. I'm not missing something, all right? It's a complete prayer for one another. So the first thing, the first request Paul prays for the church that we should pray for one another is spiritual strength. Look at verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, so again, here's his motivation to give us good gifts as our father, the riches of his glory is his motivation, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Let's break that down real quick. So strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. What kind of strength? It says strength in your where? Your inner being. So an inner strength. Well, what is an inner being? Don't we probably need to understand that if we're going to understand where the strength is? Look at 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self's wasting away, our inner self's being renewed day by day. So our outer self is our body. Our inner self is what? That's the moral man. That's who you really are. Okay, so that's, that's who you are. That's who, who God has saved. That's, that's what God is changing and transforming. That's your inner self. So it's a strength in your inner being, but not just any type of strength, okay? Not just strength of will or, or strong personality or anything like that. It's a spiritual strength. Look back at the verse. Strengthen with power through his spirit in your inner being. And people use spiritual for a lot of, a lot of things. It's an adjective that's probably overused in our culture. And, and literally, here's what I did. This week, I went on Twitter and I just searched for spiritual. And I just want to see what people, and these are real things people tweeted about using spiritual as an adjective. Someone is at Comic-Con. It's a, it's a convention for comic books and pop culture. And they went to a Marvel Comics uh, panel and they talked about a bunch of different superheroes. And they said it was a spiritual experience. They said, they said going and listening to people talk about Spider-Man was a spiritual experience. Someone described a date on Twitter as a spiritual experience. 
that their date was so spiritual, whatever that means. Someone described their music as spiritual. Someone who is a fan of One Direction. If you don't know who One Direction is, uh, number one, get to know them. But uh, basically, in, in England, they're mad at us for winning the Revolutionary War. So what they did was they took a bunch of uh, prepubescent boys and they made them sing and they sent them to America to make our teenage girls go crazy, all right? So Goodwin, Britain, you got us. But anyway, someone, a girl tweeted about One Direction and says that she loves them because they relate to her on a spiritual level. Now, some of you are like, I don't get it. That's not funny. YouTube One Direction and just tell me what's super spiritual about their song, which every song is like a thousand, just the word girl is in it like a thousand times. Like, oh, girl, right? Like, that's not spiritual. Anyway, we, use, we overuse spiritual. So, so what does it mean? What does this spiritual thing mean here? Well, what it means when it says spiritual strength, when we're talking about that, this is a strength relating to your spiritual well-being as you follow Jesus. So a strength relating to your spiritual well-being as you try to follow Jesus. So practically, what is Paul praying for? What's he asking of God for the church when he says, give them a spiritual strength? What's he asking for? I think it's simple. I think he's simply asking for a spiritual endurance. Hebrews 10.36 says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The implication here is that doing the will of God requires endurance because it's difficult. And you'll be tempted to what? despair. Well, we already know that Paul's already established. This is why he's praying for them, that as you follow Jesus, don't give up, don't despair. So what do you need? You need endurance. You need spiritual endurance. So Paul is praying that the spirit of God would give the people in the church strength and endurance to keep following Jesus and not despair. What an incredible, uh, loving, incredibly loving and needed and powerful and wonderful prayer to pray for one another. So that's where it starts, a spiritual strength. Then building on that, building on the spiritual strength, the endurance that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Christ may dwell in your hearts. This is the second request he makes. So that, building on itself, so that you endure, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. All right, so what does that mean? Is he talking about salvation? Jesus in your heart. Like when I was a little kid, that's what people told me. Like, you, you want to be a Christian? Ask Jesus into your heart. So is that what he's talking about? Well, I don't think that's necessarily what he's talking about because he's already talking to Christians. And in John 14, 23, Jesus said, look, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we'll come to him and make our home with him. So this is more than Christ residing in your heart. This is Christ being at home in your heart, being at home in your inner self. And let me explain. I did a, a, I looked this up in the Greek and did a Greek word study on that word dwell. And, and here's what I found. It means to properly settle down as a permanent residence, i.e. in a fixed dwelling place as one's personal residence, figuratively to be exactly at home. To live in a place is way different than to live in your home, isn't it? Anybody been away for a while? Just go talk to a soldier who's been deployed. To live in a place is way different than to live in your home. Because when you're at home, you belong there. And it belongs to you. And it serves you. And there's no closed doors there, right? It's all yours. And that's what Paul's praying for them. That because of their endurance and through their faith, Jesus will make their heart his home. Meaning, he'll rule their lives completely. There'll be no closed doors, no sections of their life that are, that are cut off from God's influence and his rule. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, We don't lose heart, our outer selves wasting away, but our inner selves being renewed day by day. Everything about us is being renewed day by day. 
I think a great illustration of Jesus dwelling in our hearts is found in this, this booklet called My Heart, Christ's Home. And, and, and here's the picture that the author, Robert Munger, gives us. He pictures the Christian life as a house through which Jesus goes from room to room. In the library, which is the mind, Jesus finds trash and all sorts of worthless things which he proceeds to throw out and replace with his word. In the dining room of appetite, he finds many sinful desires listed on a worldly menu. In the place of such things is prestige, materialism, and lust. He puts humility, meekness, love, and all other virtues for which believers are to hunger and thirst. He goes to the living room of fellowship where he finds many worldly companions and activities. Through the workshop where only toys are being made and to the closet where hidden sins are kept and so on through the entire house. Only when he had cleaned every room, closet, and corner of sin and foolishness could Christ settle down and be at home. To have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith means for him to be at home in every corner of our life because we believe his promises and therefore become obedient to his word. So there are no closed doors to him in our lives when it's his home. It's all his. It's all his home. Look back at the verse. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. How is it through faith? Well, I mean, first, of course, there's initial faith. There's a saving faith, the faith that trusts and invites him in in the first place. But secondly, the faith to allow Christ to dwell in every corner of our hearts is obedient faith. It's a faith that leads to obedience. John 14, 23, Jesus answered him. Again, we already read this, but if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and he'll come to him and make our home with him. So it's faith to be obedient to Christ's uh, uh, commands. That's what, that's what opens up every door of our hearts. That's what gives him the, the ability to, to dwell in our hearts, to make our hearts his home. And Jesus transforms us. That's what the scripture says. He transforms us through our obedience. He comes in and he makes our heart his home through our obedience. Haven't you experienced this? Like, like haven't you practiced forgiveness and then realize that God's making you a more forgiving person? Haven't you, haven't you practiced kindness and realize that God's making you a kinder person? Haven't you practiced selflessness and realize that God's making you more humble than you used to be? So we pray for faith that leads to obedience, faith that swings open every door in our lives to Jesus, faith that helps him throw out the remnants of our rebellion, and faith that helps him replace what is lost with what is ultimately good. So the first request is spiritual strength. The second request is that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And thirdly, he prays that you'll experience Christ's love together. Go back to verse 16. Let's, let's build these blocks. You ready? That according to the riches of his glory, again, that's his motivation to give us good gifts. He's our father. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, your inner being. So a spiritual endurance so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So in your endurance, you remain obedient to Christ's commands and he transforms you. He makes your heart his home that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted means literally planted. Grounded uh, literally means established or, or founded. So we have two images here of growth. We, we have an image of a, a tree growing. We have a building being built, right? And a tree is only as good as its roots, and a building is only as sturdy and as strong as its foundation. And our foundation is what? According to the scripture, what? You've been rooted and grounded in love, Right? So we started, we were founded, we were planted by Christ's love for us. And it's only by continuing in that love that we will grow. And understanding that, Paul continues with his, his request. Look at verse 17. 
that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So Paul is asking, here's his request, that the church would have the ability to understand the vastness of Christ's love. Breadth, length, height, depth, right? The vastness of Christ's love. But check it out. He asked that we would do it together. It says comprehend what? With all the saints. The implication is that you and I individually don't possess the ability to comprehend the vastness of Christ's love on our own. It's like he designed us to be in community. Because that's exactly what he did do, right? So that's what he's saying there, that, that we do this together. His prayer is, look, that you would experience Christ's love, that you would grow in it, you would know it, and all of that, but you would do it together. How do we do that together? There's several ways we do that together. We do it through the study of his word, through small groups together. If you're in a small group Bible study, through preaching and teaching, through conversations with other believers about his word. Hasn't God revealed deep revelations of his love to you and, 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 and his love for others through the study of his word when you're, when you're with other believers? You know, throughout the week, I listen to other preachers, right? And I listen to them and, 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 and uh, the Lord blesses me through that. And I realize like, wow, I'm really not good at, that, at this. But I listen to them and, and, and the Lord has constantly just knocked me on uh, uh, my back. Just, just, just listening to his love through, through what these other preachers are communicating through the study of the word of God, right? Maybe it's passages I've read a thousand times, but listening to what God has revealed to somebody through, through their study and through their sacrifice and through their submission, sometimes I'm like, oh my mm, God, you just blew my mind here. You know, your love is ridiculous for me. I, I hope that that happens for you here. I hope God reveals things to you about his love uh, through the teaching and the preaching here that changes your life. But we do that through the study of his word. We also experience, we understand the, the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of his love through our worship when we sing about it. Don't, don't you ever, aren't you ever in the middle of worship? Aren't you ever in the middle of, of singing to the Lord or, or hearing a new song and, and you're just, you get those goosebumps, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the hair stands up on the back of your neck and it just, it just hits you right? All of a sudden, a new revelation of his love, a new revelation of the depth of his love or the length of his love is revealed to you. It happens to me. Or, or maybe we do that together through testimonies, right? Hearing someone else's testimony of God's love for them reveals to me, again, another avenue, another area, another side of his love I'd never seen before. When I listen to God's faithfulness, it makes me think, you know, yep, that's exactly what my dad is like, right? Isn't that true? When I listen to other people's testimony, it's like listening to a brand new psalm of God being written right in front of me. Don't you ever get that way? Like when you listen to someone talk to you about what God's done for them, immediately it's, it's, it's just another revelation of God's love to you. And so we do that, we, we experience that together, but keep reading. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Uh-oh, Paul, you don't make sense. How can you know something that surpasses knowledge, right? How can you know, how can you know that? Well, I think we do that through experience. Look at John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, we are supposed to love one another in that way. So the way that we know that love that surpasses all knowledge is that we experience it together. 
through the way that we love one another. I'm, I'm going to use, think about it. When you love someone rightly, according to God's wisdom, aren't you reflecting to them be the love that's beyond knowledge? Aren't they experiencing it? Aren't they knowing it in one way? I'm going to use 1 Corinthians 13's definition of love to help illustrate this. When you're patient and when you're kind, aren't they gaining a knowledge of love that surpasses knowledge? When you aren't envious or boastful, aren't you mirroring the love of Christ for them? When you aren't arrogant or rude and don't insist on your own way, won't they know the love of Christ then? When you aren't irritable or resentful and don't rejoice with wrong but rejoice with truth, doesn't that give them a knowledge of the love that's beyond knowledge? When you bear all things and believe all things and hope all things and endure all things, won't they see Jesus' love modeled in you? So that's one of the ways we know the love that's beyond knowledge is that we experience it together. Again, that's part of that community God has bound us up in. So spiritual strength or endurance so that Christ may dwell in your hearts and, and you'll, be, you'll experience Christ's love together in order to, here's our fourth request, to be filled with the fullness of God. Look at verse 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Fullness is the fulfillment, the completeness of God. Albert Barnes, a, a theologian, he, he put it this way, that you may have the richest measure of divine consolation and of the divine presence, that you may partake of the entire enjoyment of God in the most ample measure in which he bestows his favor on his people. Think about that, that you may partake in the entire enjoyment of God that nothing would stand in your way of the complete enjoyment of God. So this is the climax of the prayer. This is what it's been building up to, that through endurance, through the indwelling of Christ in obedience and the experience of Christ's love in Christian community, you can experience the fullness of God. You can experience the fullness of joy and the pleasures forevermore that, that Psalm 1611 talks about. You can be filled with all joy and peace and believing and through the Holy Spirit abounding in hope that Romans uh, 15, 13 talks about you can have the abundant life that Jesus revealed in John 10 10 what an incredible request that the, that you would experience the fullness of God what an incredible prayer could you imagine if we prayed those giant prayers for one another and God answered them J just for a second just think about that Think about our church. Think about the people sitting in this room. Think about Sunday morning. Think about Wednesday night. Think about the, the Saturday distribution. Think about Tuesday night prayer service, all of that. Think about all of those things. Now think about those in light of if we prayed this, if we regularly, earnestly, fervently prayed this prayer for one another and God answered, what would happen to our church? I have no idea. I, have no, I, I can't even imagine what would happen when the glory of God and the fame of God was so perfectly spread through a people who submitted uh, themselves to him, who, who loved in a way that, that, that we shared the, the, the love beyond all knowledge with one another. I have no idea. In fact, it sounds impossible, doesn't it? Like this prayer is so huge. It sounds impossible. But check this out. Paul ends these requests with a beautiful piece of worship, a beautiful doxology, and an evidence that our request next to the power and the grace and the mercy of God, this is a tiny prayer. Check this out. Look at verse 20. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So God can do more than we think or ask. And Paul thought of this and Paul asked this and I'm thinking of this and I'm asking this, but God can do more than that. So God can do this. This prayer we're praying, God can do this. And God's already working in us. It says the power that's already working in us. So God's ready to do this. So not, he can do it and he's ready to do it. And God will get, a glory, will get the glory in a church like this. So God will do this. It lines up with his fame. So God will do this. He can, he's ready, and he will do it. If we just ask. So here's how I want to close this time together. I want to close this time asking. Let's ask him. Let's, let's pray this for our church. Would you, would you stand with me? Could you stand up? If you can't, that's fine. Would you, but if you would be willing and can, would you stand with me? I'm going to ask you to do something else that I've always, when I was a kid, I remember thinking this was really weird and I hated it, but I'm an adult now and my job is to make kids hate things. So, uh, if you feel comfortable, if you don't, don't. But if you feel comfortable, would you, would you just reach out and just grab somebody's hand next to you? Just reach out and let's just hold hands across the church. And again, if you don't, it's cool. Just keep them down. That's fine. That's fine. But as we pray, Peter, you can come on up. As we pray, let's, let's pray for one another. Lord, we pray for spiritual strength and endurance for everyone in this room. We pray, Lord, that no matter what they're dealing with, no matter what difficulties, they would not despair. That temptation might be there, absolutely. But they would not despair. They would trust you. And Lord, from that strength and endurance, we pray that you would dwell in our hearts, that our hearts would be your home. Lord, for my brothers and my sisters in this room, some of them are suffering. They're, they're, they're suffering because there are doors closed. There are doors in the, in the home of, of their heart, in their inner being. There, there are doors they've, they've shut off from you. And they said, Jesus, you can't go in there. I'm happy to give you these parts of my life, but not these. And what's in those rooms is poisonous to them. What's in those rooms is keeping them from the fullness of joy that you have for them. For my brothers and sisters who have those doors closed and they know who they are, they know what that door looks like. They've stood in front of it every day of their lives. They know what it looks like. Give them the courage and the spiritual strength to open that door to you, to completely be obedient in that area of their lives to you so that you will fully dwell in their lives. You'll be fully Lord over every aspect of their lives. And that Lord, as you fill their life, I pray Lord that, that we would begin to experience your love together. That Lord, we would be filled up with your love for one another. And Lord, as we express that to one another, as we serve one another in the humility of your love, that Lord, we would learn we would learn about the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of your love. And God, you'd give us a knowledge about the love that surpasses knowledge. That we'd be dedicated 
to experiencing and finding out and learning about your love, that we'd be dedicated to the study of your word. We'd be dedicated to worship. We'd be dedicated to Christian community where we can experience your love and grow in that love. We've been rooted in it. We won't grow in anything else. There's no other environment for us. We have to grow in love. And this is the environment you gave us, this Christian community. May we be dedicated to it. And Lord, as all of these things build on themselves, we ask for this climax of this prayer that Lord, everyone in this room, all my brothers and sisters in this room would experience the fullness of knowing you. That nothing would stand in between them and your joy. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for loving us. Lord, I also realize that as we pray for one another and as we talk about all that that you've done for us and all that you want to do through us together as a family, I recognize that there are some strangers here. I don't mean that maybe this is the first time they're here. Maybe they've been here since the doors opened. I don't know. What I mean is there are people here who aren't in your family right now. For whatever reason... They've resisted you. For whatever reason, they know about you, but following you, submitting their lives to you, opening all of those doors of their life to you, that's not something they've wanted to do. That's not something maybe they've felt like they can do. Lord, may they realize that today, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. That, Lord, you're faithful and just that if we confess our sins, if we ask for your forgiveness, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. So, God, my prayer for those people is that today will be the day they give their life to you. They say, I'm not going to live my way anymore. I'm going to give you my life. I need your forgiveness. Make me new. That nothing would hold them back from that today. We love you. Thank you for hearing us and for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.